on, welcome to the Hoop Collective Podcast. We talk about the NBA, which we're doing late on Tuesday evening. Joining me from the Barclays Center, where he's gone for two nights in a row. Last night with uh, Warriors Nets. That was an interesting little post-game interview you had there, Bontemps. And tonight, Kyrie Irving's return, I think one year to the day since he was traded to the Mavericks from the Nets, where the Mavericks were victorious by 12 points. Tim Bontemps. Between Kevin Durant coming back last week, Kyrie Irving coming back today, and the Warriors being here yesterday, it's been an eventful few days in Brooklyn. Not having to worry about the old Mavericks tonight and handing it off to Bontemps and letting him deal with Kyrie Irving. It's Ben McMahon from Dallas. Howdy, partners. Listen, anytime I can give Bontemps my work, it gets me in a good mood. You know what else gets me in a good mood? When I get a shipment with some free gear, baby. Some free gear. Ah, look at this. Look at this t-shirt. Ah, it's a good material. Tell the audio listeners where you where it came from, pal. I'm getting to it. Don't you dare interrupt me. The Brescia <laughs> Bearcats men's basketball program, NAIA program in Owensboro, Kentucky. Uh, my guy, Jake Davis, the alumni director, hooked it up. Sarah Gaylor, the head coach. <laughs> Listen, this is a good one. The first woman to be a men's head coach in NAIA history before that was in the Milwaukee Bucks uh, basketball operations department, actually won a championship ring. Dude, not only a t-shirt, there's really nice card, handwritten <laughs> notes. Listen, part of the handwritten notes and fellas kind of got a little verklempt when I read this and I looked that up to make sure I was using it correctly. <laughs> coach Gaylor says, we are honorarily banning you from our gym, the Moore Center, for basketball games. I am honorarily banned from Brescia's gym. That's a shame because a free t-shirt. Owensboro, Kentucky would be your kind of town, I feel like. <laughs> McMahon, McMahon's quest for free gear is we don't need him getting more, more reason to ask for people to send him more stuff. We right. don't need it. Oh, right. yes, we do. <laughs> So anyway, well, I'm glad that uh, you're all happy. I, I I wonder if Luca will give him a handwritten note. If that's going to get him verklempt, Bontemps, maybe Luca can bury this hat. He might give him a note with his hand, but probably not a handwritten <laughs> note. Listen, if Luca gets me banned, it will not be honorarily. <laughs> <laughs> right. He's working on that. Okay. Kyrie had 36 points in this return game tonight, and it was the second night of a back-to-back, and he's coming off an injury. Uh, wasn't 100% sure he was going to play, but he did, and he played well. Luca had 35. I saw some of your tweets about what was going on there tonight, Bontemps, but uh, I guess I have to ask what the atmosphere was when Kyrie was introduced. There was no atmosphere. It was. It might as well have been a, a regular Tuesday in November. Like It was, it, it was sort of the opposite of his entire tenure here, which was just full of insanity and noise on all sorts of levels. He kind of referred to it obliquely in his comments saying, you know, essentially I made some mistakes, which that is maybe the understatement of the century, but you know, it it was jarring. I mean, as someone who covered this team back when it moved to Brooklyn 12 years ago, it is jarring how much things have degraded, at least how it feels anyway, from an atmosphere standpoint here. It just doesn't feel like there's any fans really for the Nets at all at these games. Like you come every night and the visiting team is getting massive cheers compared to the home team. And whenever Kyrie made a shot, the cheers were a lot louder than the handful of boos he was getting from the home fans. I don't think it's because there was like a massive amount of 
Nets fans cheering for Kyrie. I think there were a lot of Mavs fans here cheering mm-hmm. for Kyrie and Luca. And it's just sort of what it's been like on a nightly basis of late. And it it made for kind of a weird atmosphere. I mean, perhaps the funniest part was, you know, last week when Kevin was here, they did a, you know, welcome back video and a nice little tribute. Today, they just do welcome back to Kyrie, to Seth Curry, who played like a year and a half here, played like 80 games. And Markeith Morris, who played 27 games here, had them all like lumped in together. Welcome back, guys. Hey, did, did <laughs> Mr. Whammy have a sign? I, I was not. I did not see Mr. Whammy. I'm sure he had a sign. He always does. But yeah, it was a weird. It was a weird night. And Kyrie was in a good mood afterward. And per usual, said a lot of stuff. Some of it. He, he tweeted after the game before. He did tweet after the game. Before. I mean, it was all leave. fine. I mean, you know, it was. Well. There was no co- there was no real drama or controversy for once. Right. Well, so. he said, "Thank you for everything, God. I got to stay poised through the chaos and hate. The next generation is watching." Was there chaos and hate there tonight, or was, no. it, was he just referring to? You know, I get. I don't miscellaneous know. chaos and hate. Uh, miscellaneous, I think. Okay. I mean, the the he got. Was there asked any by, sage? Did any sage? I didn't see any sage, sage. burned. Okay. I mean, this was really the quote of the day. He got asked by Brian Mahoney from the AP. Was there something that could have been done to have you not ask for a trade? And he said, I don't want to get too deep into it because I love protecting the people that I'm in business with, even if it doesn't work out. He does? Again, I, well, I, it's amusing when you get into what he said next. Again, I wish all those guys well. But conversations that needed to be had weren't had before the trade deadline. And I don't know if something need to be anything needed to be salvaged. I just think it was time to get my own peace of mind and go somewhere where I was able to thrive and be in a situation where I didn't have to worry about kind of behind the back talk or the media talk or not knowing how to handle real life circumstances that have nothing to do with the game of basketball. It has everything to do with how you handle someone as a person. So that would seem to be having things to say about people you were working with. I don't know, but by Kyrie standards, that is a molehill and there wasn't really anything else that happened. And the Mavs are way better than the Nets. And if anything else, the last week as a reminder of like the Nets had these two guys on the team and there was all this promise of what it could be. And ultimately they won one playoff series and it ended with a whimper. And now they've got this team that's gone five and 15 in their last 20 games and going into the trade deadline. It's kind of rudderless. Well, and they won one playoff series and gave up all the draft capital. And yes. the Nets are right back in the place, not geographically, but metaphorically where they've been for most of the franchise's history. And that is NBA irrelevancy. You know, I, I mean, it, it just is what it is. And They're a lot more like, fun, though. They, they now. Wait, well, that's a, like that was like their goal. They were so you know they wanted a team that was like high character and fun to watch and support and everything. Well, unfortunately, they're not that fun to watch. Um, <laughs> there's nothing and fun about the Nets these days. Not it's just it, it's not. I'm not trying to be a hater or anything, but it's like they're not a particularly fun team to watch. They're not a team that has a chance to do anything other than maybe sneak into the bottom of uh, the play-in. You know, I mean, maybe they can scrap and become an eight seed. Um, and there's no benefit to being bad unless you're with the Houston Rockets. And then you're you're loving the way things are working out in Brooklyn. They Listen, and every franchise would have done the same thing they did if they had a chance to sign KD and Kyrie. You do that 100 times out of 100. It just ended up going about as poorly as it could and Kyrie needed to get out of there it, like it was chaos it was it was a you know and 
much of it self-inflicted. You know, I think we've talked a lot about Kyrie so far in Dallas, very mixed results on the floor. You know, it's almost a, a, a full year now. The Mavericks are sub 500 over the course of that year. Now five games above 500 this year. Luca and Kyrie have only played 40 games together. Now they are went five and 11 with Kyrie. Five and 11 together last year, 14 and 10 now this year. Uh, I honestly, I was surprised Luca played 40 some odd minutes tonight, given that Kyrie was back. I saw Luca said that it's not nearly as taxed when you have Kyrie with him, but still. And then, you know, like I said in the group chat, Kyrie, since he's been in Dallas, I think the citizenship has been outstanding. Bon Temps, you kind of scoffed at that, but like, dude. He's been a good dude. He's been a good By comparison to what was going on in Brooklyn, I think that's fair. Yeah, like he's been great in the community. Honestly, just from my own personal perspective, he's been very pleasant to deal with. Um, His teammates love him, so on and so forth. And then his his attendance has been not great. You know, he gets hurt a lot. And when he gets hurt, it takes a while to come back. And then, you know, he hadn't, but there's been no kind of controversy. And That's certainly true. You know, Kyrie, like tonight, there are times where when – Interviewing Kyrie is kind of like defending him. You better really be locked in if you want to stay in front of him. And then sometimes you think you know where he's going and you still get lost three or four times and kind of look around like, I don't know what the hell just happened. <laughs> you know, so sometimes he, he, you know, he'll, he'll go back and forth and side to side and do the legs on you and just leave you kind of really clueless. And <laughs> he had a few tangents like that tonight. That's okay. Yeah. Well, even those are more rare these days than they were in Brooklyn. They're at least harmless. They're they're harmless. But, you know, a year in, has it really made any impact in Dallas? No, it hasn't. Yeah. I mean, not and you know, obviously they hope the best is yet to come. Um the Mavericks it's not just Kyrie, not just Luca, but like Lively's gotten banged up a lot. He just had nose surgery. Hopefully he'll be back soon. Sounds like not before the uh not not before the end of this road trip, certainly. And we'll see about before the All-Star break. I actually had that same surgery my senior year in high school when I was slap boxing somebody ended up taking a right hook to the schnauzer and it ended up on the wrong, like under my right eye. Um, I got out of like three weeks of Time track out. practice. Time but out. I was I, I was not exactly. I don't think I don't think anyone's call, I don't think it I don't know if it's quite called a schnauzer, but <laughs> why? That's that's a dog. That's a dog. <laughs> Whatever, man. A schnoz? <laughs> that thing. This thing right in the middle of my face. First off, off we're going right to have to roll it, back, roll it back a second. He's <laughs> uh, podcast gold. He's podcast gold. Okay, that's number one. Sometimes. Number two, slap boxing? Well, now, it was like fake fighting. So I've actually broken my nose three times. First time, bus stop in first grade. I smarted off to my older brother. And it was cold, so I had like the hands inside the jacket. From behind, he did the foot in front of my legs, push in the back. I got my hands in the jacket. I went right down face first on the ground. That's like right out of a Christmas story. Hey, I'm going to tell you right now, though. I played my Pee Wee football game that weekend. Um, <laughs> of course you did. Yeah. You're a Texan. <laughs> and then senior year of high school, you know, it was kind of like play, maybe more shadow boxing than slap boxing, but uh oh oh jose i believe the last name is pena if i can recall correctly he caught me with a, a right hook I, it was and what happened to the dog <laughs> and then so i got that the thing dog got hit in out. the story right bon Temps? the dog got hit the dog, so he, uh, got, the he dog, got hit the right dog with got yeah the dog got beaten 
Oh my God. So I got it straightened back out. Was able to skip like three weeks of track practice, which the only thing worse than track is field. So I was actually ecstatic <laughs> about that. Trust me, I will. I know when. What did you do? Shot put? <laughs> no, I weighed like a buck eighty five. Oh, no, okay. I didn't do no damn shot put. The four hundred and high jump and a bunch of other crap. I hated. And then uh, freshman year, of college, did you ever have any trouble going over those hurdles? Oh, dude, I, they tried to get me the three hundred hurdles, and I was like. You know, you get, my leg doesn't do that like flip out thing, and so I was like Super Mario Brother and over there, and I did it once, and they were like, "No, the same." I was like, "I tried telling you, like, I you're the one who told me to do it. I tried telling you, I we got it, we got it, we got to get, we got to get off high school track stories. We got to get back to to work." What, <laughs> then what I broke the game. My freshman what the hell are we year, doing uh, here? It's, it's, it's twelve eleven. It's twelve a.m. <laughs> twelve. It's twelve eleven a.m. I, I just I, we got to move fast track. And I stories. agree with you. I agree with you, but I have no idea what this guy's going to say. So I it's just. I, I, I mean, can't. I don't either. But this has turned into a Kyrie. Anyway, Babel Derek situation. Lively moved back. Derek the, Lively got the, his nose busted up his nose. Work and had surgery, but he doesn't have track practice or a schnauzer. That I know of. Well, look, here, I mean, here's the thing with the Mavs. Mavs are 28-23 after this win. They're only four games ahead of the Warriors in 11. I'm not saying they're going to end up in 11th again, but like for everything that's gone on, you can look at it and say, well, Kyrie and Luca have played a combined 20, 24 games together 24. and they're five mm-hmm. games over 500 and they're in seventh. So there's upward mobility. You could also say they're one Luca extended absence away from being maybe in the same spot they were in last year. So for a team that, as we talked about going back to last summer, after the disaster that was the end of last season, how big this year was and where they finished and the momentum they had going one way or the other, heading into some pretty critical times as far as trying to convince Luca this is a place to be long-term. It's a pretty interesting couple of months left to see how this season winds well, up. Well, look, they are trying to do something here at the deadline. Um, they have mm-hmm. been as far as I am told, reasonably active in talks, trying to get basically talent. (laughs) I've heard several different concepts of constructions and I'm not going to go into names because I don't want aggregation up the yang here. I get it enough already. The names that I'm hearing are not going to change the balance of power in the Western Conference, but they're definitely trying to bring some more talent in. You know, the challenge is, is that they're already kind of expensive. I'm not sure how the new owners are spending and they've got one first round pick and two yep. second round picks. Like I'm already hearing there's going to be some guys get, get, get traded this week. I think for four and five second round picks, like we saw last year. Yeah. It's certainly and, become the norm in recent years. Yeah. And like, um, you know, there, there's, there's um, five teams that have double digit. We always talk about first round draft picks and how that's mm-hmm. gotten sideways. There's five teams that have double digit second round picks. The, the Thunder have 20 something. <laughs> the, the Thunder have 21. The Knicks have 11. The Magic have 12. The Spurs have 16. And the Wizards have 15. And that, in fact, that's one of the things, one of the players that I think could go for like a bunch of second round picks if he gets traded is Tyus Jones because yeah. the Wizards have been trying to get a first round pick for him. And I don't think have gotten it. Otherwise, I think he would have been traded. So the Wizards have 15 second round picks and they might get like another basket full if they move Tyus Jones. So so my point is, though, the Mavericks have two. <laughs> so, you know, if they're trying to get a player, they can't even do the here's five second round picks move. You know, mm-hmm. they're just very 
they're very limited. And if well, they, yeah, they're, they're, they're light yeah. on draft capital and they're light on, a, you know, attractive uh, trade assets in, in terms of players on their roster, obviously Luca's not getting traded. Kyrie's not getting traded. You can forget about Derek Lively. And then it gets pretty dicey after that. You know, there is interest in, in Josh Green, um, but he's up and down and then he's, you know, he signed the extension. So there's the poison pill complications and all that. Jaden Hardy's a guy who hasn't had a great sophomore year. His trade value is is taking a dip. You know, maybe there's some teams who like Olivier Maxence Prosper, but that's based he's, on. I mean, he's not playing, so yeah, it's based on pre-draft valuation. But it's not based on anything you've seen this season. So, listen, they're going to be. They are being aggressive. They definitely want to upgrade. I expect them to do something. Uh, I, I don't know how much they can really move the needle given the circumstances. More Hoop Collective podcast after this. Okay, Bontemps, before we move on to some other stuff, I, I do want to ask you about Monday night when the Warriors were there. The Warriors I think won by about 10, but that wasn't the takeaway. Also, the Warriors won where only one player made a three-pointer. Steph made four. That was it for the Warriors. And it was the first time a team had won when only one player made threes since 2017. It's happened a few times since then, but where the team actually won. Now, the Warriors are still a high three-point shooting volume team. I think they came into tonight fourth in the league in average makes per game. But none, none of that was the focus. The focus was the interview that you did with Anthony Slater of the Athletic with Clay Thompson, which was very raw. Uh, the, the footage was everywhere today, and I wondered if you could take us through that a little bit. Yeah, it was it was pretty jarring because I, you know, as everybody who's listening probably knows, I'd spent a couple of years living in the Bay, being around that team every day. Do you think they know Kevin that, McMahon? Do you think they know Bontemps' history? I would imagine if people are listening to the pod for this long, they would at least have some idea. If they uh, if they knew, they forgot because no one gives a crap. <laughs> well, they you grew up on a dairy farm, ladies and gentlemen. They we they we, I, mean, really, I, I was okay. All right. Yeah, that's that's great. Let's let's let's, <laughs> just, let's just go back to recounting McMahon's track and field highlights. The point is, we have all spent a lot of time around the world. You know, Bontemps ran cross country in high school. I did. McMahon? I was Dude, good he at. He still it. runs. Which God, I mean, ugh. <laughs> running voluntarily? Are you kidding me? Let's, all right, sorry, Clay Thompson. I was my fault. Fine. I'm sorry. It's all it's all good. Let's have this pod go till two thirty in the morning. It'll be sure. fine. We've all spent a lot of time around this Warriors team and. All of us really have seen them sort of from beginning to end, life cycle wise. And we don't really get a chance to see that anymore in the league without, I mean, we're just talking about Kyrie Irving, right? Like mm -hmm. these stars, especially, are just transient players a lot of times in the league. LeBron James has changed teams several times. Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, you know, go down the list. A lot of these guys have changed teams over and over again. These Warriors guys have all been together for years. And you watch now and Monday night, like you mentioned, Clay Thompson for the second time in three games is not closing the game. That's notable. It's also notable because he's not closing the game in favor of Guy Santos, who is a 55th overall pick in the 2022 draft, who the Warriors signed this year in large part to keep their luxury tax bill down mm -hmm. as a as a second round pick, his salary is a lot lower. He'd played 61 total minutes in the NBA this year, over eight games before Monday night. And then he's playing the final six minutes of the game 
in a five-point game, and Clay Thompson's watching from the bench. And after the game, as people probably saw in the video, Clay, to his credit, answered every question, but was clearly having a really hard time. Yeah. And it was pretty hard to do, frankly. Like, because you weren't sure if he was gonna actually get emotional talking his, about you know, he just got out of the shower, so I don't know, but his eyes were red. Yeah, you know, it was like, like it was, I, I'm I'm not saying he was about to cry, but it wasn't if he had he cried, was, it wasn't far away. He was trying to come up with the right words to say. And I think he deserved frankly, I think he deserves credit for how he handled it because he was like for people who haven't really been around Clay, he always sounds kind of short. So I, it might have sounded right. like he was mad, but I think he was genuinely happy for the younger players on the team. Like he talked about how proud he was of a guy like Guy Santos who's been playing in the G League, comes up and helps them win a game. But like he said, you're talking about a guy who was one of the best players in the league who I think it's sort of been lost because he's come back and played pretty well, missed two entire seasons with an mm -hmm. Achilles tear. And then an, or an ACL tear and then an Achilles tear has bounced back from that, that back to back 20 point seasons, which is very impressive. And even this year, he's averaging 17 points a game and shooting 38% from three. It's not like he's unplayable. No, if he was like on a different team and he was being made available at the trade deadline, people would be like, oh, he's worth two first round picks. Right. I mean, he's, like that. he's still a good, he's still a good player who can help teams win games, but he's not the player he was. And on this Warriors team that has had truly a crazy season on every level, on and off the court, dealing with tragedy off the court, having all these crazy games, good and bad, mostly bad, on the court, a big storyline of the season has been Clay not finishing games or whether he finishing games or not, whether, you know, sometimes Steve Kerr's getting criticized from having him out there. Other times there's questions about whether he should be. And it seemed like a pretty clear line of demarcation on Monday. With him not playing, Steve Kerr pretty frankly talking about it's hard as players get older to manage things. Clay addressing it in the locker room. Draymond in sort of the most classic Draymond fashion, <laughs> inserting himself into the story in a completely ridiculous way and frankly making an awkward situation more so. Steph trying to, in like also sort of typical Steph fashion, try to as delicately handle a pretty difficult situation as possible. But like Clay Thompson's going to be a free agent this offseason. Those negotiations are going to be, I think, awfully interesting because he is still a decent player, but he's clearly not the player he was. And he's certainly not a guy who's worth a max contract, which he's on now. And for a Warriors team that's had, like I said before, just so much stuff happen over the last decade, it just, it was just a fascinating day to be around them. And We'll see what happens over the next couple months. But what seems clear is you've got Steph Curry, who's still really, really good. You've got Brandon Pajemski and Jonathan Kaminga as young players who are ascendant. You've got Draymond Green, who still is seen as a pretty integral piece there. And then you've got Andrew Wiggins and Clay Thompson, who were key parts of the title team a year and a half ago that have had vacillating roles there. And as of now, it looks like Clay's in particular is receding. Well, and and I would even put uh, Kevon Looney in that group too. With uh, well, he's just Wiggins. been receded completely yeah. at this point. But but look, Clay's the one who people really care about because he's a Hall of Fame player. He was a star. I mean, I don't know, superstar might be a bit much, but I mean, we're talking about one of the best shooters of all time who has, as he's reminded people, four rings. 
and was a huge part of those four rings. You know, some and of has best- one of the most important games this entire run. Yes, mm-hmm. at Game Six in 2016, which game as someone six, who was courtside, courtside for that game in Oklahoma City, I can tell you, Ooh, I will courtside. never forget being in the locker room on Monday, <laughs> and I will never forget being at that game. In I, the big man can say whatever he wants. I will never forget being at that game in Oklahoma City and the way Clay turned that game around when the Warriors were dead and their their seventy three win season was going to end in Oklahoma City and Kevin Durant was going to the finals and Clay Thompson made sure it didn't. I was top of the lower bowl, but I'll, I'll never forget <laughs> it either. <laughs> you were you were there barely doing any work. Was, he was like I said, I'm waiting for Big Rich. <laughs> yeah, uh, right. I, was, I was head of the pink parrot post game. Um, I thought that that was one of the most raw post game interviews I'd seen since I've been covering the league. I said that on NBA today, mm-hmm. today, and Austin uh, Rivers and Richard Jefferson like freaked out. They were like 20 years. I was like one of, I didn't say it was the most, but one of the most just raw because he's dealing with his emotions in real time that everybody's seeing. And we all know him so well. And like you said, Bontemps, because these guys have been together so long, we've all seen yeah, these and, things. And- and it's such a blow to the pride of a guy who, for you know, he for most of his career, he's one of the best players in the league. He's, you know, he's he's one of the best shooters in league history. He's one of the great champions that's ever come through. And obviously, the injuries are part of this. But you know, at thirty three, he probably feels, especially when you see the thirty five year old guy who he's been sharing a backcourt with basically his whole career, he probably feels like, hey, he should still be. He, in the tail end of his prime, right. and he's just he, he's look, not washed. He's not washed. He's up. not washed up. So let's but, you know, like he's a he's a solid NBA player who whether he's going to close a game or not at this point is a night by night, case by case basis, and that is so far from well, what here, he's accustomed to being. I get it. Here's the other thing, though: if Steve Kerr, whether he's right or wrong, feels that Guy Santos is a better choice to finish a game. They gotta, he's gotta do it because they can't, he's gotta do whatever he can to win every game he's got. Oh, and just to get in the play. So, yes, that's what I'm saying. So, like, look, if if that's especially the way their season's gone when they've lost every possible close game imaginable, including the game before in Atlanta when they had another eight or nine point lead with a minute and a half to go, blew the game and lost it in overtime when Steph had 60. Right. Yeah. And and I didn't sense any hint of Clay Thompson pouting. But that no. doesn't mean it's it's an easy pill to swallow. I I, I I what I got was a guy who is really struggling with the reality that he's not the guy he used to be, and those days are gone. And uh, you know, kind of recalibrating his own expectations, I think. And like, it's also like the fact he's going into free agency this summer. Is he back? In Golden State, that's how could that not be on his mind? I mean, for, you know, the financial stuff, like he's not going to get close to max. And if he leaves, he's not going to get close to max. I, you know, it'll be closer to mid-level well, than max. Well, look, I I don't have any idea what's going what the world's going to look like in July. The question will be is would Clay leave the Warriors in a money decision? Yeah. You know, in other words, like Obviously, there's a certain number, but like if if the offers were all equal, equal or, or you know, it was just a little bit more, would he leave? Because we've seen, right. you know, we've seen some guys stay with the Warriors for less money. So that's that's the question. Yeah, and one honestly, of, it would one all of those guys special. might be gone by the trade deadline. 
Well, that's true. We'll talk about that in a couple of minutes. Um, speaking of the West standings, we had changed the top of the West on Tuesday night. Clippers eked ahead of the uh, Thunder. The Thunder lost. And the Wolves. The, and the Wolves. The, th- the Wolves and the Thunder both lost. The, uh, the the Jazz beat the Thunder in Salt Lake. Back of a back-to-back wins for Will Hardy and Jazz, by the way. Beat the beat the Bucks Sunday with a ridiculous comeback in the fourth quarter, and then win the fourth quarter against the Thunder tonight. It's a yeah, the, pretty the damn jazz, good couple wins. The Jazz, who the Warriors are chasing to try to get into the uh, into the plan, but yeah, the, it's essentially a four way tie for first in the West. But because the Clippers have played a couple fewer games, they are percentage points ahead like it, right, games, Clippers, games behind they're all even Clippers 34 and 15 then then Thunder Wolves and the Nuggets are all 35 and 16. I think I mean Clippers I think if you're if you're about looking into three and six or three and seven start the season something like that yeah I think that what well, they lose like the first five after the Harden trade yeah and I remember Tyloo their third game after the Harden trade they got smoked in Dallas and Tyloo after that game if it's not a direct quote, it's really close. He said, "You teams better get us now." And yeah. he was basically saying, yep. "Like we're going to be really, really good." I'm just yep. telling you, you better get us now while we're figuring stuff out. And he's been absolutely right. You know, one of the things they figured out was Russ has got to come off the bench, or you know, <clears throat> Russ figured that out. But <laughs> since since they made that that move, like Harden has been exactly what they wanted. Kawhi Leonard's playing at a at a first team all NBA type of level. Some people are trying to put him in the MVP discussion. I'm not quite ready for that, but Paul George has been phenomenal. The pieces fit. Ty Lue is a proven championship coach. And look, if if you're going to look into a crystal ball, obviously you can't you can't predict injuries, but I think it's very likely that the Clippers and Nuggets in you know one order or the other are going to be one two coming out of the West. I think they're clearly the two best teams in the Western Conference. That's no disrespect to the Thunder, who are going to be good for a long, long time. That's no disrespect to the Timberwolves, who, you know, the, the Timberwolves just, the, their struggles closing games and protecting big leads keep on yeah, it, fighting them. It happened again on Tuesday. I don't know how big the lead that the Bulls overcame. It was double digits. Six, it was 23 in the sec, in the third quarter. <sighs> I didn't know it was that much. Yeah, they've they've Pretty had. Large. I think they they've blown four double digit leads in the fourth quarter in the last like two weeks or two and a half weeks. Um, BPI, by the way, has uh, the season ending with the Clippers in first, the Thunder in second, the Wolves in third, and the Denver Nuggets in fourth. Well, that's the way it is right now. That's great BPI work there by BPI. Seventy one percent chance of the Clippers having the number one seed. Well, I don't know. I watched the Denver Nuggets roll to a championship last year, so you can give me nerdy numbers. I'm going to trust my eyeballs on that one. That's not well, winning the West. If that was seeds, seeds. I I think that I think the Nuggets are going to do pretty well down the stretch I, yeah, of the I'm not, season. I, yeah, I'm not. I'm not arguing. I'm not arguing with you on that. But look, when you also, talk about no disrespect to the Thunder and the, the and the Wolves, I mean, at the end of the day, we've seen Kawhi Leonard win two Finals MVPs. Mm-hmm. And like we talked about, I think we talked about it the other day with regard to the Celtics game, where I talked about it, I think, on the Monday pod with Ohm. When Kawhi Leonard's going up against Jason Tatum or just about anybody else outside of maybe Nikola Jokic, you're taking Kawhi Leonard in who's the best player if he's healthy just about every time. When you got that guy on your team, 
you've got a puncher's chance at minimum, and that's before you start looking at the rest of the take, Clippers. You're, you're taking them over KD? I mean, that's one where I think it depends on maybe the day or how they're playing, but I think if you're asking me Pete Kawhi, Pete KD in the playoffs, might take Kawhi. I'd have to oh, think about that one. Are you, are you taking them over Luka right now? I think I would in the playoffs, yeah. Because Kawhi's doing it at both ends and Luka's not. Yeah, that I have such high respect for KD, but Kawhi's Kawhi's top end is pretty high. I'm not. No, we haven't seen it. He hasn't got through the playoffs healthy literally right. in four years. So right. since they lost in the bubble, so like let's see if he can get to the end healthy. But if healthy, he's right there with anybody. And that's mm-hmm. before you look at Paul George. Before you look at the way Harden's fit in. You mentioned Russell Westbrook. We've given him a lot of grief on this pod, deservedly so. He's bought into this bench role, played really well. They've got depth across the board. They could maybe add another piece this week. We'll see what they end up doing. Like there, hey, ju- just wait until the Russ for six man of the year hype gets rolling. You know well, it's, it's coming. Well, listen, it it'll be it won't be deserved this year, uh, but it'll be a lot more deserved guy, than it was last year. Has there ever been a guy who won MVP and won six man of the year? Do I look like Stats Williams to you? I mean, Bill, Bill Walton, I remember off the top of my head. Boom, in your face. The whiz of the quiz knows. Did Brian stay freeze or is he just pontificating? My my mouth was frozen. I was trying to think. Uh, That's a good one. That's good. I I mean, Bill Walton definitely won both. So he did. There's at least one. I don't know if anybody else did. Okay. Hard Jackson chimes in. Oh. In the other order, but yes. In the other order. Hard, right. Bill Walton in the order you're thinking of, but yes, right. that's right. James Harden too. Good job, right. Jackson. This is this is from Stats Williams on Kawhi Leonard over the last 30 games. 30 is a big number. That's it's a lot of games. That's big sample size theater right there. And the Clippers are 25 and five in those games. This is his last 30 games, not the Clippers' last 30 because he did miss some with a hip injury. 26 points a game, 57 percent from the field, and he's taken a lot of jumpers. Okay, he's you know, fifty-one percent from three. Holy Moses! Ninety-two at the line. So fifty, oh. fifty, ninety, almost sixty, fifty, ninety. I tell you um, what, man, he is also springy. Like he is finishing above the rim through contact. Like he is looks great, looking athletic as hell yeah let's let's um take you some more into the shooting numbers because stats williams did a lot of work on this all right 75 percent from inside five feet okay that's fifth best in the league 54 percent from five to nine feet sixth best 53 percent from 10 to 14 feet 10th best 46 percent from 15 to 19 10th best which i actually thought he'd be better than that because that's his bread and butter 49% 49% from 20 to 24 feet, seventh. 52% from 25 to 29 feet, uh, best in the league amongst people with at least 50 attempts. So 50 attempts, it's not like he shot four of them out there and made so when two. You look at when you look at his shot chart, it's all just neon green. Right. Neon green across the board. And then he, Stats Williams was doing this thing where he was showing us using the second spectrum data, like how Kawhi is doing this with like the, the flattest shot in the league. He has like a dart. That's always been the case. Yeah, I know. So what it, what it means is 
you got to have really good lift for it to go in, right? Because he he can't make up for poor lift. His his average arc is about the same as Sadiq Bay's, who shoots twenty nine percent on. I was going to say arc similar percentage, not. And so basically, Sadiq Bay's throwing line drives in there and making twenty nine percent, which ranks last in the league for guys who have one hundred fifty jumpers. Kawhi's goes in fifty one percent of the time, which is first in the league. So. Like he is having a historically not, and I got the voodoo right on him. He'll go two of 17 tomorrow night or something. Um, games on ESPN, I think. Anyway, he's playing great. But you certainly, you know, if you, as you try to project this out, the Timberwolves and the Thunder, who have very, very little playoff experience on their roster, they need the higher seeds more than the Clippers and Nuggets. If the Nuggets end up with the four seed, It'll be a minor inconvenience. They're either going to play well or not. The one thing I push back on is home court. When your home court is mile high, ooh, five thousand two hundred eighty feet high with the video, but the altitude, like they lost one playoff game at home last year. Like that is that's true. But to Brian's, but to Brian's point, if if Denver is in a series with Minnesota or Oklahoma City where they don't have home court. They're not going to be bothered. They might not. Maybe they ultimately won't win the series, but they're not going to go into it thinking, "Oh man, we're going to be in trouble because we don't have home court in the series." Maybe That's they get, all. maybe they get beat, but it's more important for Minnesota. Yeah, uh, you yeah. Know. For younger, for younger teams, it's obviously a, a huge advantage to to have those games at home. And look, for as great, like we've talked a ton about Shea and Ant, and as great as those guys are, and as bright a futures as those guys have. Look, Shea's got a chance to maybe win MVP as soon as this year, right? The way he's playing and the way the Thunder are playing. But Nikola Jokic has gone on to win finals MVP. Kawhi's done it twice. Like, let's see those guys do it in the – I think we need to see them have playoff runs and do it in the playoffs and win series in the playoffs before we're going to put them ahead of Denver and the Clippers based off of the history that those elite players on those teams have. Yeah, so – Four-way dead heat, basically, in the West, 50 games into the season. So that's certainly fascinating. And by the way, we got a three-way dead heat for second in the East. Right. Well, the Bucks After the Bucks lost again today. Yeah, the Bucs uh, just lost a few minutes ago to the Suns. The Bucks and the Knicks are both two games back in the loss column to the Cavs right now, who are in second. Listen, Doc Rivers' second win as the Bucks head coach might not be until the All-Star game. <laughs> Oh, uh, Half game back in the standings of the Cavs. Right, not but, quite a dead heat to your point, but but they're all bunched right up in the standings. Yeah. By the way, we had some injuries in the NBA on Tuesday night, mm-hmm. and this is gonna. We'll have to see how this all works out. Jalen Brunson rolled his ankle pretty good. I don't think it's like you know. I just checked serious. with Ian Begley, who was at the game, our former colleague. He he tweeted he walked out without a limp, no boot okay. or anything. Okay. Dante DiVincenzo declared that Jalen Brunson was good. Said he told him he was good when he asked him, so everything was fine. So Doctor we will see what happened. <laughs> he rolled it pretty good. It would not surprise me if he if it was a little bit. Oh uh, yeah, no, I know. I'm just I'm just saying what I'm just saying what was reported. That calls out of the to mind room, one of my favorite quotes about LeBron, which was during a playoff series, I think early in his career, where he rolled his ankle similarly in a playoff series in the you know key game, and um, LeBron wasn't available to the media, so we asked his teammates, you know, like, and it was Larry Hughes and. Larry, what do you think of this? LeBron rolling his ankle. Do you think he'll be okay? And he goes, have you seen his ankles? 
and he like put his hand up and like, you know, indicate like the size of a bicep and LeBron did play the next game. So hopefully Brunson's okay. Also uh, Chris Middleton, the Bucks just can't have, the Bucks are, are in some struggles, struggleville right now. Uh, at least they didn't let Suns put up 140 tonight. Um, so that and was, they, they, they didn't have Brooke Lopez who's missed the last few games for personal reasons. They didn't have Damian Lillard. I believe that was an ankle for him. Sprained ankle, yeah. And then uh, Middleton left that game early. With, with an ankle sprain in the first quarter. Not not ideal, but not an ideal stretch. Now one and four with uh, Doc Rivers at the helm. Right. So hopefully these injuries aren't serious. But just reinforces it. You know, like you, uh, you know, Milwaukee, John Horst has been ultra aggressive every year at the trade deadline. They don't yeah. have a ton of assets. They got a, they got Portland second, I believe, this year, which is a pretty interesting second. They don't have a lot of salaries they can move, really. But whatever they can come up with, I'm sure Milwaukee will do because John has always been super aggressive at the deadline, adding pieces. And I suspect they'll find some way to add something yeah, between he, now and Thursday. We'll just so, see yeah, what but, it is. But he's yeah. trying to turn three packs of ramen noodles into a into a meal. Sounds well, like you during I'm, the pandemic. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not. To be clear, I'm not saying they're going to wind up with some star. I just suspect they're going to find a way to come up with something. But we're also looking at a trade market where you got a lot of teams trying to come up with something, and it just yeah. as of yeah. as of this moment, we'll see if it changes. But with like, I guess what thirty six hours or so till the trade deadline, there's not a lot of optimism there's that there's going to yeah. be a lot of excitement more hoop collective podcast after this yeah and so we'll talk about the trade deadline right now and it just tells you we're this far into the pod before we're really talking a lot about trades which is an indication our feel talking to folks in the league is that it ain't buzzing with activity. Now we're going to see deals. We're going to see a, a, a number of players get moved around. Whether or not it's going to really change the balance of power, I don't know. Now Milwaukee is definitely trying. I was talking to a team just last night where um, who's been talking with Milwaukee, and they were like, they must have dozens of trade scenarios that they've been pitching, trying three-way deals, trying all kinds of stuff to basically to get anybody in there who can defend a little bit, uh, particularly on the perimeter. They have two second round picks that they're allowed to trade. No firsts. Uh, one of them is Portland's pick this year. They can't try to repackage some swaps like Phoenix did too, if they want to really try to get creative to, to try to manufacture something too. But that's, you know, you're really scraping the bottom of the barrel if you're swapping already swap picks. Yeah, that's right. Well, and you are correct, Bon Thomas. John Horst has done a deal in four of the last five deadlines. So, you know, we didn't really think they had much that they could do last year, and he came up with Jay Crowder. Mm. Crowder they traded four, there. traded five seconds for Crowder, traded four seconds for Nico Miritich. Like it, they've they've consistently gone out and gotten players right at the deadline. And I'm I'm sure he'll be like you said, their history indicates they're gonna try everything they can to do something. And you don't need to be a rocket scientist to look at their team and say they need to find some people who can guard people and we'll see if they right. can. So what we're watching in the league right now, Brooklyn has been involved in a lot of different conversations and they've been in conversations where they're selling pieces and there's been in conversations where they're buying pieces. Spencer Dinwiddie is the most available piece there. If they're buying, they maybe attach something to him and bring it in. If they're selling, the question is, do they sell Royce O'Neal and Dorian and or Dorian Finney-Smith? Mm -hmm. 
their asking price for both, I think, has been pretty high. But those are some role players that could be interesting. They're 10 games under 500 now. So um, five and 15 since the infamous tank game against Milwaukee, which Jacques yeah, Vaughn tried to like say, oh, you know, people have criticized us for sitting guys in the past with regard to all the guys they have out injured right now. But I mean, you can say whatever you want. They were 500 going into that game and their season has been an abject disaster since. So I, mean, I don't know if it's cause and effect, because let's be honest, like they weren't, they're not, it's not a good roster. I would, I would say it's a hundred percent cause and effect because they were a decent team that was literally <laughs> sitting at 500. And from that moment on, they've been a disaster. On temps has been annoyed with that since the moment it happened. <laughs> well, and I'll, I'll just look at their games. I mean, they've, they've no, I, been I terrible since then. I, I know. I, I want to say something about causation and correlation, but I'm not sure I know what either one <laughs> yeah. of the words means. But, but, <laughs> I, but, I but think you it's pronounced right. them right. Yeah, that's good. Yes. That's good. I think they went over you're that. Making real, your, you're making real subs- you're making real strides from a vocabulary standpoint. Yeah, I think they went over that in your third sophomore year of college. (laughs) (laughs) And I say that with love, my guy. I say that with love. Listen, Um, I'm eight years in college. I'm twice as smart as either of you guys, clearly. I'm not in position to uh, Listen, I'm not necessarily. You You can hit me right in the schnauzer. You're the one getting all the free swag, pal. You're doing something right. Um, (laughs) Well done, Brad. I am definitely not shadow or slap boxing with anybody, much less McMahon. He's got the reach. You know, McMahon believes that no no boxer under six foot has any chance. No slap boxer. Um, <laughs> Philly, right. so right. probably the most interesting thing that's happened this week so far is that Joel Embiid had a surgery that did not rule him out for the season. Now, I think there's, there's some nuance in here. Had they gone in to that surgery... Uh, on Tuesday and uh, repa- procedure. They have not called it a surgery. Okay. They're being as vague as I didn't. Possible. I, you know, he tore his meniscus and he needed surgery. Okay. Coming out of that event that happened in an operating room, if they had had to repair it, I think they would have said he's out for the season. So the fact that it is reevaluating four weeks indicates that it was a meniscusectomy, which means they removed some of the meniscus, which means that. It, te- it typically enables you to come back in the four to eight week range. Now they may get to four weeks and decide with where their team is and decide with where his recovery is that they're not going to do it. So I don't want to make it sound like I have any idea. I don't think they know either, but they are now operating in talks like he's going to come back and hopefully before the playoffs. So I would expect Philly to make one to three trades before Thursday afternoon. And I would also expect them to try. I'm not saying they're going to accomplish this. I would expect them to try to acquire players that either have expiring contracts or that have next year's salaries that are not fully guaranteed or that could easily be offloaded. I think they want to hedge their bets, not just with Embiid's injury, but hedge their bets on what happens with this season so that if they need to go back and open up the 50 million in cap room that they're currently kind of holding, they can't. So it would not surprise me. So, you know, they have a whole bunch of guys with expiring contracts. The most likely guys to go are Marcus Morris, Robert Covington, Furkan Korkmaz, maybe Daniel House if you get down the list. And I expect them to try to get guys back who are on. So you talking about targeting a guy like Bruce Brown, team option, targeting a guy like uh, Boyan Bogdanovich, team option. They're going to try to get a maybe a backup center who can sort of play center minutes. So you're talking about potentially a guy like Kelly Olenek, who's in the last year of his deal, Andre Drummond, who's in the last year of his deal. 
They have three tradable firsts. And Ooh, I think Andre Drummond had a big time showcase game against the Wolves. Big time did. showcase game. He had uh double. He's double. played really, really well this season. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. And Philly has uh, a couple three... of two smalls on Gobert. <laughs> mock Gobert at your own risk, man. That's what I said. I don't mock him. Not Andre you. Andre Drummond did. Not you, sir. Not yes. you. I know. Philly has three tradable firsts, six tradable seconds. So we'll see if they have to att- uh, attach anything. To any of that i do also if, if i'm looking at another team that i really expect to do something i think washington i don't think based on my conversations that it's going to be kyle kuzma he's the probably the most interesting player i think it's more likely tyus jones there's been a number of teams that are interested in him we mentioned earlier um mm-hmm. denny advia i can't pronounce his last name avdia avdia um has been in some talks, but I'd kind of be surprised if they moved him. They signed him to an extension before the year, but he has been dangled out there. Um, Daniel Gafford is a, another uh, center who could be a starter uh, or be a high-level backup. I think Orlando has been active, looking to try to bolster their uh, guard ranks. And so I think you know they're, they're a team that I think is uh, potentially going to be reasonably aggressive. The Clippers are shopping and trying to find a way to get somebody be, to be interested in taking PJ Tucker, who's not out, who's out of their rotation. He has $11 million player option for next year that I think is highly likely that he picks up and that limits his trade market. Um, but uh, I do, th- you know, and he would like to get traded. So I think that he, he told him he is actively trying to get traded. <laughs> yes, he did. So anyway, if that team's really good and they're able to, now they have four tradable seconds and one tradable first. I would be very surprised if they traded that first, but mm-hmm. I guess it's possible. Um, but, you know, they are a team that, you know, if they can add a nice, another little role player, uh, I've heard some of the players that they've been targeting. I don't know if they're going to get it done, but, you know, it would potentially be a nice addition uh, for them. Uh, Golden State, I don't know what they're going to do. I don't think that they're going to trade Chris Paul. Um, for various reasons. The real question is, would they trade Wiggins? And if they have a Wiggins trade, is it a deal that actually can make them better? They would be probably selling pretty low on Wiggins if they traded him right now. And the one player that I think is it's super interesting to talk about, the player especially, is uh, Miles Bridges. But a 41-point game, talk about a showcase game, 41-point game against the Lakers and a loss on Monday for the Hornets. It looks like there's a good chance that that the Hornets are going to move Miles Bridges. I don't know for sure, but it's, there's a lot of different interest in him. And Bridges, as we talked about before, has a um, veto power in his, it's not a no trade clause. It's more of a veto that he can enforce. And the reason he's got that is that he is on a qualifying offer. So he's on a one-year contract. If he gets traded, he loses his bird rights and the team that acquires him cannot sign him for more mm-hmm. than the average player salary next year and it doesn't it kind of you know doesn't behoove him you got to be real careful giving up his bird rights so he will be presented with options and he will get to pick one if that if it comes to that and you know he's a guy who because he's on a qualifying offer doesn't make that much money and it's kind of a way to do to acquire a player who is probably underpaid for his production and it's kind of like doing free agency before free agency. Um, he obviously has off-court challenges yeah. and off-court issues, and that is a factor. Um, and it's the whole reason he's on a qualifying offer. And probably, probably part of the reason why the Hornets are seriously considering letting him walk. 
And I would not want to be in the Miles Bridges business. I'll just put it that way. Yeah. I just, listen, he's a very talented player, but honestly, the fact that he's playing this year, given the the accusations that happened this fall, pretty alarming. I, I, somebody will take a chance on him and it's, it's a, I, I would side with Bond Timps on that. I, I wouldn't want it to be my team. One more. I would also keep an eye on New York. Eight tradable firsts, 11 tradable seconds. I think they're going to be careful with giving up any of those firsts, but they have some well, expiring salary and they could use some size right now. Well, th- forget size. They need bodies. They have Josh Hart hurt his knee today. It's unclear. I mean, again, he left without a limp or crutches or anything, but he was dealing with a knee injury. Jalen Brunson hurt his ankle. They're down Mitchell Robinson. OG Ananobi hasn't played in six games, I think, now with this elbow issue. Julius Randle's out for a while. Quentin Grimes, who's wanted to be traded, has got a knee sprain. Not sure when he's going to play. So they're down several rotation players. Yeah, Mitchell Robinson, you didn't even mention him. He's been out for a while. Right. He, there was one positive update. As Tom Thibodeau said after the trade deadline, or not after the trade deadline, after the All-Star break, he's supposed to be back on the court again. So mm-hmm. perhaps he will be back sometime in March. I mean, I'm that on... Um, that's not me. That's me speculating based off what Tibbs said, but he, there's at least a chance he'll be back in the relatively near future, but certainly not in the next month. So with Evan Fournier on a potential expiring contract, like we've talked about a bunch of times on the pod with that team option for next year. And with, depending on what they do with Grimes, like they have the ability to go add at least one player to play in their rotation with all the injuries they have. I'll be stunned if they don't add somebody in the next 36 hours to give them some more bodies because they're they're down a whole bunch of people at the moment. You guys have any other commentary on that that sort of not exciting list of stuff that I just detailed? I would just say, I would just reemphasize sort of how you laid it out, which is that there's just, you know, we'll see. You always have to sort of qualify these things, right? Because like we didn't know Kevin Durant was going to be traded at this stage, literally of last year. But with... 36 hours to go, you look back at the way the season's played out with Dame being traded, then Drew Holiday, and then James Harden, and then OG Ananobi, and then Pascal Siakam. If you said this week those five guys got traded, you'd be like, holy cow, this is the biggest trade deadline ever, right? But instead, because that happened over the course of the season, it's sort of a slow-moving, steady trickle of trades. We now gotten to the point where, especially if DeJounte Murray doesn't get traded this week, right. Probably not anybody of real consequence, you know, high level all star caliber players getting moved. And like you said, there'll be trades. There's always trades, but they're probably going to be more fill in gap type kind of guys as opposed to, you know, breaking news, you know, X name big player is traded for something to a contender. Yeah. And I think the Lakers Hawks talks are have been, you know, I don't have up to the up to second thing, but I think they've been pretty cold. Does not mean they cannot restart quickly, but I don't think that that was something that was at least as of the last 24, 48 hours that I heard much about. So we'll see what happens there. Um, yeah, LeBron, LeBron says he's good with the guys that are there. These are the guys that are there. So there's nothing more to talk about. Yeah, LeBron said a lot of words, but he didn't say yes. He never said the no, word yes. LeBron didn't say. Did very he say they words. were good with the guys that were there, or did he just say these are the guys that are here? Yeah. I thought it was just these are the yeah, guys. These that are the guys here. that are here. So there's nothing more to talk about. Yes, uh, it was, reminded that was me quite an endorsement. It reminded me of a quote when you know he and David Blatt were 
cross with each other. And uh, he was asked about whether, you know, David Blatt was the right coach. And he goes, he's the coach that we have. (laughs) (laughs) And he's with the same level of enthusiasm, as he said about the players on his team. Yes. Yeah. I Um, also like when LeBron's asked about the trade deadline stuff. Oh, he did say, he said, it's not a question for me. (laughs) Yes, it is LeBron. And he said, I love who we have in the locker room. And that's all I worry about. Yeah. So, you know. Enjoy, enjoy LeBron. We're going to miss him when he's gone. We're going to miss him when he's gone for so many different reasons. And I am thoroughly because it, because I've got no skin in the game. I don't have to be in the locker room with him. I don't have to face him and say, Hey, LeBron, we didn't actually get a trade done or whatever. I thoroughly enjoy when LeBron's on the passive aggressive kick. It makes (laughs) me laugh. I love 20 20 years in. You still love the soap opera. I mean, because I had to be on the front line of the soap opera and deal with so much of it that now I can just be like, you know, yeah, I, I know I, I've seen, I've been there and done all that. You know, I don't have to, I don't have to be like McMenamin and like um, sigh and then trudge back to my computer and fire off a news story within 11 minutes because the news is like, give me us a, give us a story on the most recent LeBron thing. <laughs> so I can just sit back and laugh and talk about it on TV and podcasts. So yes. It is entertaining. Yeah. It is entertaining. And we've got, unfortunately the Lakers don't play again until Thursday night. You know, to to speed up McMiniman on deadline, I got an idea. He should have an hourglass, but <laughs> uh, but but like a maybe like a fifteen minute glass instead of an hourglass. And then when it's time to write that news, or he should just start that start those sands filtering on through. You you should have said that off the air. We could have gotten. We could have. You know, I'm going to be at the game on Thursday. I could have brought in an hourglass. And <laughs> I mean, you still can. There's nothing stopping <laughs> you. There's nothing stopping you. Oh my God. It's going to be great. I'd get LeBron to sign it. What would that, <laughs> what would that piece of merch be worth? Oh yeah. my God. Uh, all right. Thanks for listening to the Hoop Collective Podcast. Thank you to Jackson for staying up late yet again. Thank you to McMahon and Bontemps. Thank you for your support of the Hoop Collective, which is now seen on ESPN2 on Tuesdays. I'm sure all of you watched it today. So thank you again. And we will talk to you uh, Thursday. Actually, we'll record Thursday. I'll post on Friday after the trade deadline. Adios, amigos. Looking forward to it. 